0: IOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. The Catskill Revitalization Corporation, home of the Delaware and Ulster Railroad, based in Arkville, and the Catskill Scenic Trail for hiking and biking along the old rail bed from Roxbury to Bloomville. The Delaware and Ulster Railroad Tourism Train is scheduled to return this summer for rides in an open car or coach with food and beverage aboard the vintage Silver Rose Dining Car. Dates and details at the Delaware and Ulster Railroad Facebook page or at D-U-R-R dot org. Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center in Walton. Open 730 to 230 Tuesday through Saturday for waste disposal and recycling. In service to make a difference by reducing pollution in Delaware County. Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center, State Route 10 in Walton, 607-832-5800. Or click the Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center link at WIOXradio.org. Rockland Cider Works Upstate on Stryker Road in Gilboa An agritourism cidery With vacation rentals On a sprawling former dairy farm Gluten-free hard cider Made from 100% New York State apples And New York State produced Beer, wine, and spirits And on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday August 11th, 12th, and 13th Rockland Cider Works Upstate presents The Sunken City Music Festival Three days of music in homage To the underwater village of Old Gilboa Tickets, music, and camping information at rocklandciderworks.com. You're listening to WIOX Roxbury, your live and local soundtrack to summer in the Catskills when you explore the towns and villages of Delaware County, Andes, Bavina, Fleischmann's, Margaretville, and Roxbury for local music, art, food, shopping, swimming, hiking, biking, fishing, or whatever your imagination desires. So stay tuned and stick around. Find links to summer events in the Catskills at WIOXradio.org.
1: listening to WIOX Community Radio, live in local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or them smartphones. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. John, how's it going? Things are good. How are you? All right. Uh, what have you been up to?
2: Um, well, I've been into picking chandrels the last three or four days. That's good. Yeah. I walked up behind my house and found a few spots where they're growing. So it's not hard to not hard to find them up there. and I've been checking on them every couple of days when I go for walks and coming home with a few.
1: Yeah, those are good. Those are the best. Those are my favorite. Um, I guess we're heading into uh, mid-August because the katydids are out down by me, uh, below 1,000 feet or so. And that is surely a sign of... Uh, Yeah, late summer, you know, mid to late summer, and um, it's been beautiful. My kind of summer, mountain summer, highs in the 70s, maybe touching 80. Almost needed a sweater this morning. I love it.
2: It's been great. The other morning, it hit 44 in Delaware County, where I was leaving from.
1: Yeah, I want to call these people in Florida and Georgia right now, because they like to do that in winter when we talk to our members, and they're like, oh, it's 70 here, you know, in January, and I'm like, okay, I want payback right but they're probably here so yeah they're probably
2: yeah. <laughs> calm down there hey
1: it's 90 huh <laughs> it's fricking, yeah almost getting a wood stove up here but, I, saw, I
2: saw some wood stove smoke the other day on actually oh yeah me too
1: yeah yeah uh, hopefully it was just a test fire because come on i know i saw it at someone's property uh over in samsonville someone had the wood stove going it's like geez how about that that's a little much what are you going to do? So uh, tonight's topic is biocontrol for emerald ash borer with forester Colin Miller. Colin is a certified forester, watershed forester for the Bureau of Water Supply at the New York City Department of Environmental Protection for almost seven years. And uh, he's located in the regional office in Downsville, Delaware County, New York. Works with other foresters to steward city-owned forest lands, primarily in Delaware County. Colin is also a CFA Catskill Forest Association member and manages his family woodlot for multiple uses at his home in South Courtright over there in Delaware County. And let me see if I can get Colin on. Colin, how's it going?
3: It's going great. How you doing, guys?
1: I'm doing good. Where, where are you at?
3: sitting in my driveway right now in, in my hot <laughs> in my car so I can uh still uh, get some fresh air and um, not be uh, interrupted by the, the 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 excitement that usually happens when we get home around this time of night
1: I understand I understand
3: got a, I got a little guy so he's uh he's seven years old so uh he's he's raring to go and uh you know when we pull in the driveway uh you know it it can get crazy so I'm I'm taking some time out to talk about trees. I told him i all about what I was doing. He thought that was pretty cool. He knows I talk about trees a lot, so, um, yeah.
1: Damn, well, sorry to he- uh, keep you in the driveway, Colin, you know, but, um, geez. No
3: worries,
4: man.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah, before we get into the topic, if you could, you know, introduce yourself and uh, what got you into trees in the first place, Colin. I think you've been on once before.
3: Twice, actually.
1: Twice. Man,
3: yeah,
2: things are flying. Um, Hall of Famer now, third time,
3: man. Yeah, I, th- I think it was twice. It might, it might be once. I don't know, um, either or. Uh, what got me into trees? Um, well, you know, I've, uh, I think I, I, was, well, when you used the, the, you found a photograph of me online there, Ryan, and it was actually, uh, that's a kind of a good segue because that picture was taken a few years ago on a trip to a city park that I grew up spending a lot of time in I was kind of a park rat and uh, it's a recreation park in Binghamton which is just loaded with like pre-Civil War uh, white oak trees uh, you know just and mammoth trees and uh, I got to think that and, and that combined with uh, about 14 months I spent uh, living on the banks of the Susquehanna River down in north central Pennsylvania with my parents when they were Uh, saving up to buy a house Um, we stayed at the family cabin you know and I was probably six years old so you know those two things in impressionable age you know kind of got me interested in the woods and trees and then when I found out you could actually make a living at this thing and uh, become a forester I thought that was really the way to go and uh, like yourself Ryan I went to the ranger school and graduated uh, in 99 and um, you know just kind of been at it ever since. Really, but haven't haven't uh, haven't spent a year without doing uh, something forest related for since then.
2: Colin, you're in the woods most days. What's going on that you see uh, notably in the last few weeks? Ryan and I like to talk about that.
3: Well, you know, you mentioned uh, you were back uh, looking for chanterelles, but uh, today I found a violet coral uh, mushroom. And, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those around here, but I was in an oak stand and they are beautiful. And you know why they, they call them corals because it's like, it looks like something you see underwater while you're snorkeling in the Caribbean. Just beautiful purple color and, uh, lots of different tubes, uh, coming off. And, and I, I've never seen one of those, so that was really neat. Um, I always stop and take a picture of some funky things I see in the woods and whether it's a, you know, glacial erratic or, some kind of knot hole in a tree or you know what have you but uh, i've been seeing a lot of that uh that uh, bloomage with all the <laughs> with all the uh wet weather we've been getting seeing a lot of mushrooms out there and uh sometimes it keeps me from uh, doing some other things because i like hunting for mushrooms just like yourself
1: yeah so colin uh, i hope you don't mind but uh, i was using my wife's facebook and uh i was stalking you on facebook to find that photo
3: <laughs> don't worry
1: <laughs> as you probably
3: i can't mean, put anything up there that i that i wouldn't want so that I, that I that i that i uh would want somebody to see and think was okay so hopefully <laughs> you didn't see any other crazy stuff on there
1: but i gotta uh, tell you man uh, you're really into this vintage baseball i mean uh you got a whole <laughs> library of photos so i was looking at those and and are you really playing without a glove like uh, this you're really you're really yeah. uh hardcore on this
3: yeah, well, John, Johnny, uh, played with us, if, uh, uh, for a year or two. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of a, a baseball sub-cul- subculture where, you know, we, we just, we have a lot of fun. We travel, uh, you know, we're playing, we play in historical locations and we get these great crowds. And it's just, it's not, it's not like your typical baseball scene. You know, it's, uh, I'd say it's like one third theater, one third education one third sport, you know, so if you hit, have the sweet, the uh, secret, uh, that's kind of the the right mix of, uh, you know, uh, of, of what it should be, and, and then people love it, and uh, and I'm one of those people, and I've been playing for the Fleischmanns team since 2007.
1: I mean, I got to say, the uniforms are pretty awesome, and some of these guys are really taking it to the next level and rocking out the whole beards and stuff the way that, you know, probably was. I don't know. It's pretty cool. Yeah.
3: Yep, yep. I, I can't pull off the beard though. I've tried it. I look ridiculous, <laughs> but uh but yeah, guys do that. Guys do it, you know. They're they're uh they're looking the part. And uh we just had a team we played down in Gettysburg with like 30 teams of guys with some crazy beards down there and <laughs>
1: that's cool i don't know about the whole no mitt though thing man geez you know i mean you got to get slapped in the hand quite a bit it's not you know? bad
2: at all it's not R- bad it really isn't
1: i don't know i've never played without a mitt i
2: mean yeah catcher might be different but catching a pop fly you, you just you know bring it in and absorb the yeah. you know absorb the the fly ball into your body a little bit
3: all right yeah my my favorite yeah my favorite thing about it is we, uh, we turn all of our bat, while we're talking about ash, cause I think we're supposed to be talking about some ash trees, but basically I love it because all of our bats are hand turned by, uh, Archie Byrick up at, uh, Byrick Lumber in Halkett'sville. And, um, you know, he's got a lathe up there at his dad's sawmill. And, um, I always tell people it's not so much about what kind of, um, you know, what kind of fancy bat you can put or what kind of, uh, you know template you're using for your the shape of your bat it's all about the wood selection and uh he gets all these ash um straight grained and you know even make some from hard rock maple and i'll tell you we've only broken like knock on wood we've only uh mokin maybe two bats in the last 6 7 years um and it's all about wood selection and i'll tell you i'm you know this uh this thing going on with our ash trees is is you know, I want to stockpile as much of it as I can so we can keep turning bats with it, um, you know, because uh, it's it's a sad thing that we're seeing out there with ash trees going away. And this is uh, one thing maybe your your listeners don't know, but um, this region in particular uh, grows some of the best ash and maple for the, the baseball bat industry. And um, I think at one time Louisville Slugger, uh, owned about, well, they're, they're, one of their, their satellite companies, Larimer Norton, they owned about 11,000 acres of timberland in Broom and Delaware County, um, for their plant. And, uh, which used to be in Hancock. And, um, you know, it's, it's because of the quality of the ash that grows here. You know, we, it grows slow and grows straight and, um, and has really tight growth rings, uh, which make for a fantastic, uh, baseball bat. So, uh, yeah, so it's kind of sad. So, I, you know, this kind of brings me into this, how I got into helping out the, the ash situation is as a forester, we try to grow trees, not just cut them. Um, a lot of people think we're out just figuring out which trees to cut, but it's actually the other way around. We're trying to figure out which trees to grow, which tree will grow the best if we get it to, give it enough resources, light and, and um, nutrients and such. And, you know, we look at what competes with that and maybe not so good of a tree and what we can leave to grow for the future. And, um, I got real bummed out when I'm out here trying to do these salvage cuts for, for white ash and the Catskills, uh, because they're forecasting we're going to lose 99% of the, uh, of what's growing, uh, right now. Um, so, you know, that 1% is, uh, important, but, uh, geez, it's kind of, a, kind of a bummer. So, uh, when I heard actually on this program, uh, during COVID, you had Sawyer Gardner from, from USDA on the program. Uh, and she worked for the Animal Plant Health Inspections, Animal Plant Health Inspection Service and in their Plant Protection Quarantine Division. So APHIS PPQ. I was really intrigued to learn that she had been doing all these releases of the parasitoids to help with uh, EAB control. And, uh, yeah, I was off to the races. Once I heard that, I called Sawyer. We got in touch, and um, it's been great. So, uh, yeah, um, I'll let you take over and ask more questions about that.
1: It's, it's, you were talking about the quality of ash. I was just in Woodland Valley the other day, and I think near near there, near Fox Hollow, there was a bat factory in Shandaken. But, man, there's just such beautiful ash trees in Woodland Valley and going up into Forest Preserve there. You know, some of them have two logs at least. But they're dead, and oh, it, is, yeah. it is too bad. It really is. Um,
3: yeah, that Shandaken Bat Factory was uh, was still open when I started working in the Catskills uh, back in two thousand three, wow. and uh, we actually we actually found out why they closed, and it was because they couldn't get enough. They couldn't get rid of their offfall from the mill because the, the domestic furniture industry was huge in North Carolina and Tennessee. And they used to send all their all their short pieces and their offcuts when they take and make a square to make a baseball bat or a tool handle billet. They would send their their squares off to furniture plants to make spindles for chairs and things like that. And when they lost that market due to the fallout of uh, you know foreign competition for domestic furniture, um, they just that was kind of like yeah, you know, if you're a sawmill and you can't get rid of your waste you have a real hard time staying in business and that was one of the reasons that they decided to close that plant. Um, but uh, we met those folks in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina was their parent company and they told us that was why they uh, decided to shut it down.
1: Yeah, I was just write an article on that. We need more markets. We need more market diversity. But <laughs> yeah. that's a whole nother Absolutely. show. We definitely probably should do it sometime. I know you have, you know, you're pretty knowledgeable about markets, uh, Colin. Um, so right. I treat, uh, chemically treat, ash trees uh, yeah. in late May, early June, and I have to chemically treat these trees every two years. It's an arboricultural treatment to save ash trees, to kill the emerald ash borer. Um, it, this this chemical gets in the leaves and uh, kills adults feeding on the leaves and gets in the, the inner bark and kills the larvae as well, but it's just a temporary thing in my mind bias time towards a biocontrol so just a little background before we get into what you're doing as a partner but what is biocontrol how would you define it Colin well
3: that's that's actually the most the oldest form of uh one of the oldest forms that I'm aware of uh, they kind of refer to it as classic you know it's a classical control uh with natural um you know natural predators or um you know biological agents, if you will, uh, to, uh, address a problem that was basically created by humans. So, um, but it's a very old form and, you know, biocontrol has been used to address all kinds of things. Purple loose strife is more, one more recently, or, um, you know, gypsy moth, um, you know, well, spongy moth now that it's called. Um, there's just, uh, you know, a number of uh, things happening, but, biocontrol for EAB didn't really start into in the US until 2007 um, and uh, and then you know that was sort of the control period and then it started really going great guns when the, the lab opened up in Brighton Michigan to uh, actually you know have a rearing facility for these parasitoids um, so
1: yeah and so they they're parasitoid wasps um, what what is that?
3: Yeah, so uh there's there's four different wasps that they found in China and Russia that actually prey upon the EAB larva and egg. And they uh they you know when this thing hit the United States goes all the way back to 2002 in uh southeastern Michigan, uh kind of Detroit and uh Ann Arbor and Lansing and that area um it had probably been here before then. It came over on shipping crates. Or, um, but, uh, you know, by the time, you know, it was discovered uh, and the Forest Service got involved, actually, Nate Seeger, who runs there, uh, he's, he's now based in um, uh, New Hampshire, uh, in their Portsmouth, or Durham, New Hampshire office. You know, he told me that there was just maybe a few paragraphs on this particular pest, uh, like on the emerald ash borer and in a Chinese textbook because it, it co-evolved with all the species in China and it wasn't a problem over there, so they didn't study it much. I mean, think about all the insects that we have that we don't really have much information on. Um, but certainly when it got here and started wreaking havoc on our ash trees, it became a big deal. So they started really researching its life cycle and trying to figure out, you know, how this thing really works. Um, and uh, and these parasitoids, um, they did trials, uh, you know, for a number of years, uh, before they, anything, you know, gets done with AFIS, they spend a lot of time trying to figure out if it's got other, if it's going to have unintended consequences, you know, if they release it into the wild. And so, um, so they did that. And, um, and now we're at the point where, you know, it's been, it's been working. Um, there's actually a great paper, uh, that a lot of my talk uh, tonight was, was based upon that came out in January, 2023, earlier this year um and i'll put a i'll send you the link so you can share it with the with the listeners um but it's got this great history about you know the how the how the rearing um goes on um how how they tested where they've you know got these specimens um and uh and and really what the success looks like so um i'll share that with you guys so you have it um but uh yeah i mean that's really as far as the parasitoid goes i mean it's it's a wasp that feeds on the emerald ash borer uh that's as simple as i can put it and um and it does it in a variety of different ways based on the different species of uh of wasps that you're using and this is totally benign to humans this thing i I think you had in your notes ryan (laughs) it's it's the size of a mosquito um i've been busy doing it uh with in 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 a location down below the Never Sink uh, Dam, and um, yeah, if you want, we can get into that in a little bit. I'll uh, tell you about kind of how I did, how I uh, arrived at that place.
1: It, yeah, absolutely. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, six to seven p.m. Tonight's topic is biocontrol for Emerald Ash Borer with forester Colin Miller. Yeah, let's get into that, Colin. Let's get into what you're doing and and you're up to in the Catskills.
3: Sure. So after I heard on your show, uh, Sawyer Gardner had several release points in Delaware County. I was really pleased to hear that because as you guys know, I mean, Delaware County could be a state. We're bigger than Rhode Island. So, you know, just doing one release would kind of take a long time for the, for the parasitoids to kind of replicate and get out into the, in the environment and do their thing. So, um, my first question was where specifically did, you know, had she done some releases? With cooperating landowners and uh, i found out that uh one of our uh, our friend frank winkler uh i think he has a, a release site in his his property on uh, perch lake um or dingle hill perch lake road dingle hill area in andes um and that was actually great because i was working on a project right up in there to, to salvage ash uh before the before the uh the bore was was there um You know, one thing I'd like to try to do, if I can get into these stands before the emerald ash borer arrives, you have a a chance at a healthy root system, and maybe you'll get some stump sprouts. And we've all seen how quickly ash will sprout on a healthy stump. And uh, if it's not completely browsed by a white-tailed deer, uh, it's got a good shot at getting a shoot up above the deer, and then you've got another tree. And um, the emerald ash borer doesn't really, uh, you know, it's got nothing to bore into it, you know, at the sapling size, you know, seedling sapling size. Um, So, you know, that gives a kind of a hedge for the future. Um, But uh, yeah, so there's a release point there. I heard there was one up in Roxbury. Uh, There's another one um, out towards deposit. So kind of like different ends of the county in delaware county and so when i reached out to the to the forest service or to aphas rather um APHIS, uh you know it's very it's it's a pretty cool program they're looking to get as many cooperators as they can doing releases in counties where eab has been discovered but they have no releases right so right now the number as of right now it's in um uh let me look at my notes it's in as of 2010 when the rearing facility uh, was established uh, fast forward to 2023 uh, actually by the fall of last year so we won't consider this growing season um, it's in 360 counties in 31 states that has EAB uh, it's also in Washington D.C. three Canadian provinces um, and it's they're looking to have more cooperators, and so the process by which they decide on a, on a, 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 a site, uh, you know, obviously has to have a strong stand component, has to be ash, has to be large contiguous forested blocks, and uh, DEP owns, you know, lots of uh, forested tracks that are contiguous ownership, and, and we have lots of patches where ash is very heavy, and so... Uh, I took it upon myself uh, actually during COVID when we were all working remotely from home. I spent a lot of time looking for good release sites uh, in 2020. And then over 2021 and 2022, the last two growing seasons, um, they accepted one of the sites that I submitted, uh, which happened to be in Sullivan County. And you guys do a lot of work down there. And safe to say, it's really hard to find a healthy ash tree in Sullivan County. Um, but we did have one parcel below the Never Sink dam in, um, uh, in the, in the town of Never Sink, um, that had a strong ash density and it wasn't all dead. And I thought it could work because you're looking for maybe four to six years of continuous, uh, you're going to release for two and then you're going to try to recover to see if you've been successful. You're going to spend time recovering the parasitoids or looking at larvae that's been preyed upon by the the biocontrols um so you know you, you don't want to pick a stand that's already slapped dead you know what i mean um and it's hard to it's getting harder and harder to find some some of those stands depending on where where the kind of the killing front is um we're still finding pockets in delaware county that are you know haven't been hit yet but uh i'll tell you you go anywhere near a sawmill <laughs> Or or a major transportation corridor, uh, it's it's getting tougher and tougher to find ash in good shape.
1: Yeah, um, near, near but, major highways, I find are, are pretty much yeah, the worst. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Anywhere they're going to concentrate ash or move you know move ash on firewood or, or logs, and that's why they that's why Aphis abandoned the quarantine effort because you know this thing got so widespread so quickly that it was just not worth it. Um, so yeah. they know, you know, they turn their efforts to the to the biocontrol. Um, so that's where they're putting all their all their uh, focus on now with yeah, the cooperators.
4: I, I
1: went to a conference, uh, International Society of Arbiculture, and when they started to go back and look at where the infection rates were coming in from Memorial Dashboard, they, they realized uh, it, was, it was actually the interstates, I ninety yeah. straight across to the throwaway, like Sogarties, where it was first kind of seen in the Catskills, as far as I know. Yep. But uh, yep. the throughway and yeah, the interstates are just probably hitchhiking on cars at that point.
3: But I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, yeah, they say that uh, the emerald ash borer will travel up to two miles to find their nearest, uh, their next nearest victim, uh, but they'll also travel fifty-five miles an hour. So, <laughs> um, you know, or whatever people drive these days. But you know, it's it's yeah, it it, it got. I mean, you got to understand. The ash, ash is a you know it's a timber species and you know the forest products industry is, you know has been moving it around um, you know plenty and uh, you know the, it just the quarantine efforts were not worth it anymore um, to to focus on that that they put all their focus on this uh, the biocontrols and you know and it's and it's good I mean to me I, I I feel like although I'm spending some still spending time. Working as a forester on on a, a pre salvage or a salvage harvest, and trying to leave some healthy, hopefully female healthy ash trees in the in the stand to replicate, but realizing we're look, looking at 99% mortality, I'm really I do have some hope for the future um, in in this program that uh, it won't be like uh, you know the, the the American chestnut or or um, you know so many species that we've lost. You know, just completely from our forests, um, that ash will uh, kind of come in equilibrium. The emerald ash borer populations, once the once the population crashes from lack of food because of all the dead ash trees, that we have these parasitoids will, you know, keep that population in equilibrium, and the seedlings, you know, and and the the babies of the babies, I uh, will say, um, that maybe my grandchildren's. Uh, Children will have uh, ash as part of their forest because, uh, you know, in the Catskills, at least on, on New York City owned land, we figured that uh, from the last inventories uh, that we did um, uh, back in 2011, uh, it's represented some as, as high as 7% of our, our uh, forest, which may not sound like a lot, but when they grow in patchy, you know, density and clumps and stuff, it's, uh, you know, it can, we're talking millions of trees. So, uh, You know, it's uh, the thought of losing all those and then not having anything to replace them. You know, uh, I mean, obviously we know nature abhors a vacuum and we'll have other things to replace the ash. But uh, it's uh, it's a wonderful tree and um, has a lot of uses, uh, you know, not just for for humans. But, uh, um, yeah, so it gave me a lot of hope that we can still do something to, uh, you know, to have it as part of our forest.
1: John, I hear you scribbling away over there before. What, you have a question? <laughs> well, I
2: mean, at some point, I don't know when you want to get into it, but I, wanted, I want to talk about the actual release of these, um, what it's like on site that day, you know, what's the challenges, limitations. Um, you mentioned a little bit of the site characteristics, but what maybe real deep specifics are you looking for of the spot on the spot? Things you know, like that.
1: Let's, um, you know what? Let's take one break, and uh, we'll, we'll, when we return, let's talk. Let's get right into that. that is that all right, good. Colin? Yeah, sounds good, guys. All right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is biocontrol for emerald dashboard with forester Colin Miller.
5: This MTV is not for free, so PC is killing me. So desperately, I'll sing to the other love. Shut up, I a rage and pain, pain, and fear itself. And I can't keep these feelings on the shelf. I've tried, well, no doubt I lied. You'd be fighting suicide, but I got too much pride inside you, hide, or slide. I'll do it i the side and let it ride until I die. And only then shall I abide this fight to catch a little tunes. I'll skip the minute ditties. I wanna bust all of my story balloons. I wanna was well, I'm feeling stuck in the head about that normal
1: Traveler, this is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. Tonight's topic is biocontrol for emerald ash borer with forester Colin Miller. So, Colin, let's get into releasing these wasps, these killers of emerald ash borer.
3: Sure. So, uh, the last two years, I, um, oh, I'm i getting an echo. Hold on a minute. Let me get off the All right. so the last two years, uh, I've been working on releasing these tests. Um, the, sorry, guys, I'm getting an echo. I'm not sure why. Sounds um, good
2: on our end. Yeah, whatever you did, it
1: sounds great. <laughs> 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 I don't know if that makes you feel any better.
3: But <laughs> well, <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah, this is something to do with, with cell phone, probably. Yeah. Um, Okay, sounds good. So, uh, the last two years I've been doing release, uh, you remember I I earlier you got to do two years of release and two years uh, of mm. recovery. Um,
1: now it's breaking up a little bit. Try try moving back to where you were.
3: Sounds
1: <laughs> okay? <laughs> All right. It uh, yeah. sounds better. Better again. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think so. Okay. Yeah, that's good. All right. Yeah. So,
3: <clears throat> so the last the last couple of years, I've been doing this. Um, we, you you basically uh, you sign up as a cooperator, and they send you three different uh, species of parasitoids um, that that feed on the 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 bug in different ways. Um, the Tetrascus, uh Oobius, and Spatheus. And there was one other species uh, that they found didn't work well in northern and uh, the higher latitudes, so they kind of skipped that out because it doesn't overwinter very well. Um, so the oobius comes in a nice little uh, vial, uh, like a medicine bottle, uh, and it's basically uh, their their egg. And you just hang it on the tree and nail it. You, you nail it on a hook and. You let it hang there, and they, when they hatch, they emerge, and they look for food. Um, those are really hard to detect, um, and uh, I'm going to be focusing on my release, uh, or my I've my recovery efforts the next two years. Um, so I haven't done that yet because they like you to do it later in the growing season. It has to be two full years after your last release. So, um, next month I'm going to get to work on doing some recovery. Um, and maybe I'll come back and tell you guys, you know, how well they're doing. Um, but, uh, all of these relief sites in Delaware County, uh, I assume have gotten some recovery because some of those sites were older than, than the one I mentioned in Sullivan County. Um, so Oobius is the, it comes in the kind of medicine bottle. Uh, Tetrasticus comes in, in in a small ash bolt that's been impregnated with uh, with the <clears throat> with the larva, um, and it's actually got uh, EAB larva in there too, so it can feed and kind of get healthy and then emerge and then go find uh, uh, EAB larva to prey upon. Um, Tetrasticus has been one of the most successful. Um, in fact, uh, I was reading uh, in, in, uh, that uh, they found Tetraskis almost uh, you know, did really well in Michigan um, in sites that have had EAB for you know, almost 20 years now, um, and they, they didn't think it was doing so well. And then it, it just, like, over a, a couple of years' time, they started to increase it from, like, maybe 6% predation to 30% and then exponentially better each year. Um, the uh, the the third parasitoid that they send us, um, it comes in a solo cup with a lid on it, and they are alive. and And you kind of have to release it just as soon as they come. They usually uh, you'll get a, an overnight UPS box, and you're off into the woods. Uh, and you open that thing up, and they are ready to fly. And um, they they're about the size of a mosquito, uh, and you just kind of set it off, and that's Spathius Galenae, um, or Galenae. Um, that is uh, <clears throat> the one that just sort of flies off, and, and you document the amount that you release, um, you put some flagging on the tree, you you uh, have some spots where you GPS uh, your locations, um, and you try to get it uh, kind of ubiquitous across the, the stand that you're working in, um, and, and Particularly uh, on trees that are you think are going to uh, live for at least another four or five years, Um, you don't want to be releasing them on dead trees that have already succumbed to EAB and are you know they might be have any they may not have any larval galleries that are actually active anymore because the tree's dead and the EABs emerged and moved on to another healthy tree. So, um,
2: alternatively, though, you're probably looking for.
3: you're probably looking no, for so trees I, that
2: definitely have EAB too, right? You're not going to look for
3: right. be, beyond
2: the front lines.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, would I release on a uh, on a healthy tree knowing that there's other uh, other infested trees nearby? Yeah, I might do that because um, it's generally in the area. You don't want to you don't want to be releasing because remember the tetraspis bolts have EAB larvae in them, so you don't want to be putting this in an area where it doesn't already have EAB. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I've seen, you know, Sawyer actually had a site um, in Schaharie County um, that was kind of a reverting field, uh, growing some young ash trees. And um, she had a site there, and I asked her, well, you know, EAB's not here yet. She said, yeah, but it's knocking on the doorstep. And that was good enough for her to, you know, pick that for a site. Um, so, good question.
2: Um Uh, So you kind of answered one of my questions was, you know, what's the timing of this? Like pretty much as soon as they come in the mail, you're heading out to do this. Um, You don't have to pick a a perfect weather scenario or something along those lines. It's just happening when it happens.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've released in the rain. It's kind of the pits, but, um, yeah, you want to get it out. There's uh, Sometimes because of the, the nature of the shipping, you know, if it comes in on a Friday, um you know, at three o'clock, you know, and I'm heading out for the weekend, I put them in the fridge and actually the spatius galenae will go dormant due to the cold. And I'll tell you on Monday, when I get those things out into the woods, I think they're all dead. And just by warming them up and, you know, uh, in the car on the way to the job or, you know, if it's a nice summer day, man, then things (laughs) are ready to roll. Uh, they're flying out like crazy.
2: Wow. So how many of these, uh, releases have you done?
3: Oh, um, that's a good question. I should have I should have brought my numbers there, but uh, let's say um, in the thousands of of each of these, um, and that was of course over uh, the growing season. You're getting a shipment, and not every shipment will have all three parasitoids. Sometimes you'll have more Tetrascus bold. Sometimes you'll have, you know, only Oobius. You'll have those medicine vials and other times you'll have a whole box of spathias in the uh, solo cups, you know, the plastic solo cups. So um, you're getting usually uh, once a week throughout the growing season um, after it gets warm enough to release them. So they they judge that by the number of growing degree days uh, in the spring, and usually by late June is when – you know, uh, when you're doing the releases. Uh, and I, I think the latest I released was the second week of September. Um, but d- yeah, dozens, dozens if not, yeah, prob- probably 50, 60 releases over, you know, the last two uh, growing seasons.
1: Wow. I didn't think it was going to be that much. That's great. Well, what do you think? How optimistic are you, Colin?
3: I, you know, I, I was saying before, I think. Based on the results from areas in Michigan where they've seen these uh, releases and they have 15 years of data, because um, you remember, well, not quite 15, but you remember 2010 was when the rearing facility um, was established. Um, so you've got 12, 13 years of data. Um, and even in New York State, uh, in the Hudson Valley, uh, you mentioned, you know, Saugerty's and Um, you know, they found, uh, spacious like 14 kilometers from where they released it. Uh, so that's a good dispersal. I mean, they were really excited about that at APHIS uh, because that means that they're traveling far to find EAB. And we want these things to not just hang out in the same County where we release them. We want them to kind of get ubiquitous across the landscape. Um, and you know, I think from that early, uh, uh, looking at it over the last ten years, uh, I feel good. I mean, I feel good about it. Um, and I, you know, I, I hope that uh, the last uh, or the next two uh, uh, um, recovery uh, uh, seasons I spend uh, trying to find these things, I hope I find them uh, at least where I released them, and certainly have good feelings that they disperse down the Never Sink River corridor. And trying to, you know, get it ash yeah, as that's still alive um and and maybe they'll they'll be able to replicate uh because i I feel like sullivan county was pretty late in the game um remember i said they they like to work with cooperatives releasing in counties that don't already have ea uh eab cooperators but uh they've had eab for a while and i feel like sullivan county had had it for quite a long time before i you know tried to release it on on city land so um I hope that uh it'll kind of disperse into the forest preserve and maybe save some ash up there um and and then we'll see some ash seedlings in some of those stands uh that over over time you know like i said my grandchildren's grandchildren we can walk through the forest in there and, and see uh you know healthy ash trees that are you know uh maybe the small uh, small pole size and and, um, you know, have some evidence that the uh, parasitoid's working.
1: Do you, do you have other examples of success? I, I believe that there's biocontrols released with gypsy moth. I and mean, that was one that yeah. was terrible in the 1980s, uh, right. defoliating oak
3: trees. Right. But, yeah. Um, um, well, like I said, I mentioned purple loosestrife earlier. I mean, that's got to, that's got a control, um, What what is the control with
1: purple loose drive? Do you know what that, what the, I don't know that. I mean, I don't know the biocontrol. I don't know, I should look that up.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely do that. That was a big uh, deal when
1: I was a kid, like in the 80s and 90s. All people talked about was purple loose drive.
3: Yeah, me too, yep. Jeez. But But, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's lots of, uh, lots of examples of biocontrols out there that have been successful and, you know, I hope that this is one of them. Um, And I I think early signs are that it will be. Um, This paper that I I referenced earlier is fantastic because it really, probably the last two-thirds of the paper focuses on, um, you know, all the the research they've done to kind of get us us, uh, feeling good about the success of this effort.
2: Are there any threats that are um, obviously, you know, It's been thought through pretty well, but um, any threats we should know about, about releasing this parasitoid wasp? What went into that review process about uh, bringing over another species that, you know, is non-native?
3: Sure. So, um, they got permits to release in 2007, so they went went through um, the trial period. uh, And they, aside from woodpeckers and some other um, known prey of uh, of these insects um, they did not find that it was you know going to attack anything else besides EAB hmm. well, that's and okay. they, like I said there's, there's three of the species are from China and one's from Russia okay
1: is this do you know if this is a, if this is available on, on private land or uh, private is there any private labs making this or is this only APHIS USDA
3: yeah, no, uh, the, the The Brighton, Michigan lab is the only place rearing EAB, to my knowledge. Yeah, yeah, that's what I found. Yeah. And you can, um, they have, you know, there's citizen cooperators. I mean, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not just for, you know, uh, public foresters.
2: Yeah, that's um, what I was going to ask you next, Colin, is how did you get involved? What was the process like, and how can others possibly get involved for their land?
3: to have that many um cooperators throughout the what do i say 360 counties i mean that's amazing to have that many cooperators in fact that's why they got real choosy on where they wanted to do the races because they're not cheap um you know these uh they want they want to make sure they get out there um you know this is a it's a major effort i mean remember this is the this problem with our the loss of our ash trees is uh, I I like this phrase I saw it's a slow moving natural disaster and um, you know the estimates were between oh nine 2009 and twenty nineteen was a billion dollars um, and 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 that was just considering like street trees you know that wasn't even really looking at forest trees yeah.
1: You know how many trees I've taken down, Colin, just for people's properties?
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm yeah tired of Well, you can them. imagine that replicated across the states. A billion dollars per year adds up pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I'm tired of trees. You know, they seem to fell pretty good, right, John? I feel like they stay together much better than I originally thought. It's the tops that start breaking. Now you start climbing around them up there. It gets pretty uh, hazardous.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that you've had talked about. Folks talk about this on the show before, but just to remind folks that the way that the EAB uh, larva galleries feed is, you know, in the phloem, and and they they, uh, they just essentially dry the wood out, and then the tops fall right out of them, like you said. Yeah,
1: which with ash is terrible because it's already dry to begin with, kind of. I mean, not that dry, but drier than right. other trees. And jeez, right. say something,
2: John. Well, Con, I was just going to ask, you know, how can a landowner get involved um, to be a a partner? And what was your process like getting involved uh, in the beginning?
3: So um, they can feel free to get in touch with me, and I'll I'll send them the resources. Um, You know, put my contact in, you know, uh, in the podcast uh, links there. But uh, EAB um, has a, the APHIS has a cooperative program. Um, You do some training. Um, you know, I went out with Sawyer uh, Gardner when she was still working with the program and um, she's moved on to other invasives. But uh, when I, I spent some time with her and then found uh, the cooperator site um, online, it's a lot, all your uh, data is uh, loaded into a, uh, a website uh, run by the, uh, the program. And um, you upload a site if you find a good potential release site and they don't have a county uh, that has uh, EAB without a cooperator in it, you'll have a good shot. But like I said, I uploaded probably five or six locations in <laughs> Green, Delaware and Ulster County. and they chose the one in in Sullivan County that be oh,
1: you there, you there, Colin?
3: So they didn't have any release sites in Sullivan County.
1: Okay, lost you there for a second, but yeah, so Sullivan County is where you're where you're mainly working.
3: Yeah, that was the only one that they uh, accepted, um, oh. and I've subsequently sent more uh, sites to them. But uh, like I said, they really are focusing on new counties, and right now in New York, I don't know how many counties around the Catskill region that is uh, that, that don't already have EAB, uh, parasitoids released in them. Um, but, uh, certainly this, since, since, since your, uh, listeners, uh, are from far and wide, they might find themselves in a place where, uh, they have EAB, but not, uh, not any parasitoids. So, um, never hurts to upload them and, uh, look at your site and, um, to that uh, go to that cooperator website like I said I'll, I'll share the link yeah and we, um,
1: we got about a minute and a half left is there anything you, yeah uh-huh. you want to share um, or, or leave off on Colin? Uh
3: yeah I think if the, the, the future uh, is short term is pretty bleak for the ash tree uh, in in North America but long term and foresters tend to think in hundred 200 year uh out i think it's uh I, this effort is uh is, is certainly worth doing uh, and it's showing signs of uh, early success that's great
1: i hope so i hope so and, and um yeah yeah i mean are you releasing any more this this growing season or is it all finished
3: no next to uh the, the fall i'm going to be focused on re- uh, recovery to see you know where they're uh uh, if they're taking hold in that uh, that area down in Sink, So if you want, I can uh, send you some pictures and uh, update you guys on uh, what we're seeing out there. And, and I, I would think that uh, some of the other lo- locations in Delaware County, uh, they've had uh, some recovery efforts there, too, to, to determine whether it's a success. So uh might want to check with Frank uh, and see if uh, he knows anything.
1: Yeah, please send us anything, and um, we would okay. be... We'd be happy to share it, Colin. Colin, thanks for coming on tonight. We're all out of time, and uh, the show flew by, and uh, we really appreciate your time.
3: Yeah, thank you, guys. I love what you guys do. It's a great show, and I'm happy to participate whenever I'm asked.
1: All right, Colin, have a good night. Thanks, Colin. Good night. All right, if you missed the show, that was uh, Colin Miller. He's a forester with the DEP, and we're talking about biocontrol on From the Forest. And uh, see you next week with Mr. Mead, Mr. Gary Mead. Okay?
2: Good night, everyone. Good
4: night. Oh, the neon lights were flashing, and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes, and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. Then the old man came home. For his tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway, and the bottle was his friend, and the old man stumbled. Way. his ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay, and he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way, getting lost like a fool in the forest, and as he lay there sleeping a the visions. Shining the face of one so dear Who'd loved him in the springtime of a long forgotten year When the wildflowers did bloom In the forest She touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name And then he heard the joyful sound of children at the gate. where the river runs down from
0: the forest iox is supported by you and the following underwriters andy's guitar repair in margaretville specializing in fretted instruments structural repair setups fretwork electronics.